Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by us, the Boss Builders. And hey, we are really excited about the new training initiatives that we have planned for this year and beyond. Now, it's really not new. It's something we've always done. But of course, like everything else in COVID, it changed. And so what we're doing is we're getting back on the road. Now, over the past few years, we have been using our Art of Being the Great Boss Masterclass. We've had lots of cohorts go through it. We had really, really good reviews of it. But what's missing in that program, and by the way, that program's not going away, was the ability to be able to meet in person, live. And so we started to realize it's time to get back on the road. And so for this year, we have three new initiatives in addition to the Art of Being a Great Boss Masterclass. First of all, we have our two-day driving results management training that is on-site. And so in that program, we're going to be taking time to learn about your personality with the temperaments, but also drilling down on all those performance management tools. Two full days on-site. Second option is the driving results management training in a hybrid format. Now, the beauty of that is there will be three full days on-site, but that will be spread out over 12 months. And in between, there will be virtual sessions. And so part of it in person, virtual sessions, another in person, more virtual sessions, the ability to connect throughout the year. Of course, you can always, if you have your own training team in place, license our curriculum. And of course, we always have that traditional art of being a great boss masterclass with the drawing and the art. I hope you'll check these out. Visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. So let me give you a date stamp on this. We are actually in April, but I recorded this back in December. And so it was one of those podcasts that I was getting around to doing and things came up. And so here we are in April of 2023. So we're going to revisit my interview with Marcus Sawyer, which we recorded again back in December. Now, the subject is recruiting for today and tomorrow. And we had a great time chatting about some of the trends that were going to be important for the coming year, which we are one quarter into right now. And we also took the time to look at DE&I initiatives and what we might work on in the future to be able to do the right things because they're the right things to do. So lots of great suggestions, lots of great data. I really regret the fact that I didn't launch this thing earlier, but better late than never. Sit back and relax. Let's enjoy this interview with Marcus Sawyer. Now, you know, to do that, we got to make sure we're ready to roll. So let's make sure the personal items tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Marcus Sawyer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mac. Really excited to be here. I'm glad you could be with us today, too. So we are winding down the end of 2022, and I know a lot of organizations are thinking about the next year and what initiatives they're going to put in place. The topic today is recruiting for today and tomorrow. And so I'd like you to share some of your thoughts uh, with the audience on ways that we can improve that in the coming year, particularly by leveraging DE&I initiatives. 
But before we get to that, Marcus, I was hoping you could share something about your background with us. Where are you from? And tell us about your career journey, and then we'll go ahead and jump in. Sure. So I'm from a place in England called London that many of you may have heard of. I currently <laughs> reside in California. And a bit about my background, I've been around, I want to say 18 years in HR tech and recruiting. I had started with a company called careerbuilder.com out of the London office when they were first getting set up. And our big mission was showing people that there was an opportunity to advertise online instead of in newspapers for <laughs> job applicants. So we were, I suppose, disintermediating newspapers, which was pretty interesting at that, that, that juncture. And I had the opportunity to basically grow with career builder. I stayed there the best part of 10 years and I got promoted every year and then became a director for the staffing and recruiting unit. And then after that, I was headhunted by a company called the Adeco Group, where I became the global head of digital innovation, which meant that I was buying, building and investing in HR tech companies all over the world, which was a really fun journey. So I got to see and meet a lot of founders, a lot of organizations, and we got to buy a lot of companies as well. And then after that, that kind of took me to the US where I ran one of the businesses as CEO. So that company was focused on freelance talent. It was a freelance marketplace and we spun it back into the Adeco group. And then we bought another company and then I decided to set up my own organization, which is called EQ Community. And it's focused on the same area, I suppose, as far as talent and HR, but really focused on DNI for mid to senior level professionals. So when did you start that venture, Marcus? So I started EQ just under two years ago now, and it might be two years um, to the day, maybe when this airs, but it was January the 15th, 2020. Okay. So you picked a really tough time to start a business. Now, how did COVID impact that? Is there ever a good time to start a business? <laughs> so I, can... <laughs> I, I knew a lot of people that did it in January, 2020, and only a handful survived. So you obviously figured something out. Yeah, I think it's, it's like, as they say, it's like having a child or a baby. I've got two kids. So it's, is there ever a good time to have a kid? I suppose if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And yes. um, for, for me, it was, there was a lot that was happening from a social economic standpoint, specifically in the US. There were, I kind of came to the point with my journey within a deco where I was there uh, close to five years. And I felt that I had an idea and some people around me that could help to drive that idea that was important to do at this particular time. And, uh, Focusing in on DE&I was really the direction that I took. So, yeah, it might, might have been a, a tough time, but I suppose a lot of interesting businesses have come out of tough times as well because then it's maybe easier when the times are good. And we're, I think, headed into a, another interesting period in, in 23 as well. Yeah, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well from your perspective. You know, what is going on? I mean, I don't know. Because you know we, we were just in business survival mode when COVID hit us, and we managed to, to stay focused and we managed to stay alive. But it was interesting to watch when COVID hit, there was just massive layoffs. 
And then it's like things begin to come back and then suddenly out of nowhere, there's way more jobs than there are humans to fill them. And I don't know if that's still the case. Now, it seems like it's still the case, but I'm just kind of curious what you're projecting for 2023. What are some things that maybe we can look forward to or maybe be afraid of from your perspective? Yeah, I, 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 and I think, I think the last word that you used is really important, which is perspective. And we'll talk a little bit about that around DNI, but I think it depends on where you're sitting. So as an example, as you, as you mentioned with COVID, that, that was a great example. I had a friend of mine and he had at that particular point in time set up a business and I think it was a year and a half in or so. And it was focused on helping restaurants digitalize their menus. And as you can imagine during COVID, not many people were going to restaurants. Right. <laughs> but what, what happened and we, we actually got to catch up on say six, eight months down the line was his business exploded. And the reason it exploded is where he was agile and he was able to pivot. And he ultimately helped these small restaurants and small businesses with a way to make their small companies digital and help people order food online. Mm. And that was a new explosion for his business. So, and I say this being, uh, because there's, it would say, don't, don't waste a, don't waste a recession, don't waste a crisis. And I think that that you'll find that there are opportunities in, in each market, depending on where you're sitting. And mm -hmm. so for me, I think this year, what, what we're going to see again, and we had the great resignation. And I think we're still in this time where companies and individuals are trying to figure out the culture that suits them moving forward. And whether that is a remote first culture or it's a hybrid culture, it's a culture where we've seen some people that have taken over some significant social media platforms recently, which is, hey, we need you working 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And if some people wanna do that or not, and I think everybody's trying to figure out where they want to sit. And so there's gonna be a bit more uncertainty going into this year, but going into particular market segments where we were talking about like there's an explosion of jobs and things that needed like healthcare that's still growing. It's still going to continue to grow. Education is going to be the same as well. A lot of the government opportunities and jobs, and that then has a trickle down effect on the businesses. If you're adjacent or you're parallel to those, those organizations, I think it really depends on where you're sitting and to your point, what your perspective is. Yeah. I just think there's so many unknowns for all of us. And that maybe what happened too, is, is I kind of reflected back on COVID is that Every time you thought that we reached the bottom, suddenly we kept on digging. And I don't even know whether we're, con we're like even through this cycle now. I read an article the other day that says that we're almost to the point where COVID in some cases could be like catching a real bad case of the flu or best case scenarios, I have a cold where before it was a death sentence. And, and then I remember even long before that when HIV and AIDS were around. I was working in healthcare at the time, and if you were HIV positive, that was a death sentence. And now it's just, a, you know, you, you live with that. And so I think a lot of the things that happen, we just sort of thought, oh, my God, what do we do now? But time tends to um, smooth things out, I guess, over time. And so all that said, I think we've had a huge amount of different changes. And my thought is, you know, when does it end? When do the, the big changes end? I don't think they ever do. So for someone that's trying to predict next year, you're really, you're, you're looking into a crystal ball that's been spray painted black. You can't see through it. 
so we're all kind of flying blind. But you're in the business, Marcus, of talent acquisition. And so I guess for you, as you think about what companies should be thinking about next year, what are some things that companies should be considering as they begin to evaluate talent? Yeah, so I, I think there are some things that are more predictable than others. Like you said, Matt, like nothing at the moment, or we, do, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we can have a hypothesis and make a prediction. And I think in the next 12 months or so, it's going to be about organizations getting their A-star team ready to go. And what I mean by that is you want to be as lean as possible, but also making sure that you don't miss out on opportunities. And with that being said, it's about really ensuring that you have the processes, the mechanisms, and the culture in place to retain your best talent. So I think this is going to be a year of retention. I feel like in Q1, it's still going to be a little bit of musical chairs. So people are still going to figure out, trying to figure out what company culture suits them. And especially in the, the world of knowledge work. But then after that, you're going to want to try and figure out how do you keep these folks and how do you create an environment for them to thrive? So that that's what, what I think will happen at, from a talent standpoint. I think from a business perspective and going back to the, the restaurant example, and as you'd mentioned, there's always change. Change is the only constant. It's around evolution. And how do you evolve your business to maybe suit the markets of tomorrow or even evolve your business in a way where it can be more agile? And I think there are some business things that you'll see where companies might not sign super long-term agreements anymore. They might want to have agreements that are a little bit more flexible with the, the organizations that they're partnering with. They might not have as many seats as they did for this software product and they want to really ensure that they're utilizing and driving adoption for the for the really important parts of their business. So I think you're going to see some of the, some of that tightening happening as well. Yeah, when an organization tightens, that's going to probably increase more people into the labor pool that people can select from. But if you're an individual right now who's thinking about career direction, what are some suggestions you might have for somebody so that they can be relevant? It almost sounds like it's musical chairs and in Q2 if you ain't got a seat, you're gone. And and I have lived through the recession of 08. I did some outplacement work in that time. And I remember just the pain of some of my clients that suddenly found themselves not only without a job, but that their skills had become completely irrelevant and dated. And, you know, for them, it was a rebirth. And so uh, what what are some maybe hard and soft skills that you might recommend for somebody as they start thinking about their next year, unsure of where they might fit career-wise? Yeah, I, th I think one of the the skills, and I don't know if it's a hard or soft skill, because I, I kind of see it as a hard skill, but it's probably categorized as soft, is making sure that you have a network around you that you're not just building reactively when you need something. And this is, this is a big thing that we, we endorse at EQ Community, which is ensuring that you build a network over a long period of time where you add value to people and people add value to you. And I think ensuring that that's intact and you're checking in with people to get visibility on what's going on. Like you said, if you're flying blind, you need having another set of eyes and another few sets of eyes is also super helpful just to see what's going on in the market. So I think building your network is going to be absolutely key 
for an individual. So spending that time Q1, checking in with some of maybe the the folks that you might have been in college with that you haven't reached out to for a long time, just making sure they're okay. And that will inform where you might want to go. So I think that's super, super important. And if you can break into new networks as well, even better. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like the hard skills. So I was, I was speaking at a conference, I want to say four or five months ago, and it was in Atlanta and it was focused on data science and data engineering. I, I don't think that there's going to be, uh, as you know, as we're speaking now, every second there's more and more data that's created online or on the internet. So understanding how to leverage that information, crunch those numbers, whether you're you want to be an analyst or you want to be a data engineer or you want to be a data scientist is going to be key. And then also if you're in HR maybe or a function or a support position, how do you get your organization um, ready to use the information that's being created every second? So I think you're going to still see a a consistent increase in in data-related positions um, in particular. And there, I think there was a there was a prediction I remember, and um, and I have to look the study up, but it was roughly around the for every organization that has six folks focused on data now, that's going to go to fifteen pretty soon. Wow! So I think that's a that's a really really key area. Um, but then with that, once you create an, another key area, there are a lot of other support functions, and it's like the the, the gold rush in San Francisco it wasn't those that got the gold; it was Levi's, right? <laughs> because they created <laughs> the support and the genes around that. So right. where where can you fit into the ecosystem of those new kind of those big industries that might be emerging now? So data, and also more recently, kind of uh, another level of data is what we've seen a, a bigger explosion in AI again. Um, mm-hmm which happened about five or six years ago, and now it's reignited again. And I think companies are gonna to start to try and use AI to be more effective and more efficient. So if you can upskill yourself and learn a little bit more around that, you don't have to be technical, but at least know what's going on. I think that'd be super helpful from a hard skill standpoint. Well, just the fact that AI is around should be a wake up call that we need to put our IQs probably on the front burner and start building up some skills, I guess, too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, IQs and EQs, though, right? And uh, yeah. and I think if <laughs> with regards to the, the EQ piece, building those networks and those cultures and having use cases, because there's a lot of times, and, and we've seen it, remember the, I don't, you probably remember this as well, which is the, the, the whole push on big data. Everybody talks about yes. big data. And it became mm-hmm. big noise because no one really knew how to use it. Uh, um, And so a lot of these new technologies need use cases. And I think what I always like to do, just as a general business principle, and many of your listeners will probably already be doing this, but just as a reminder is, what are the most important and most urgent problems that your business is trying to solve at a high level, regardless of what function you're in? How do you think about that? And how can you think about working back from that problem? And maybe there are some solutions that you can bring into the mix. And that might be AI, it might be data science, it might be upskilling and reskilling current employees that you have to drive internal mobility. So there are are a couple of key areas to, to, to think about. So in your experience, Marcus, because you are a man of, of two different nations, you live here in the U.S., you're from the U.K., 
Are we sort of on the same pace as the companies you're familiar with, not only in the UK, but around the world? Are we behind here in the US? Are we ahead of the curve? Uh, or is everybody sort of just trying to figure it out now, just from your experience? Do you know, I, I was talking to my sister the other day and she's in HR. She is a people and culture lead at a company called DeepMind, which is Google's AI department. And we were having a conversation just about this, like what's happening in the market generally. Mm -hmm. And I think at, at, at a high level, um, globally, like the global economic trends, like inflation is, is super high in the UK, as it has been in the US. The supply chain, it's, it, it, it starts to slow down as well. The interest rates are ever increasing, which means that people's mortgages are going up. So people individually have less money. And so the consumer spending starts to have headwinds so what what does that all mean? I think that you again, like we are, if we're not ready, we'll be in a recession. Mm -hmm. It's a slightly different recession to what we had in two thousand and eight, which was based on housing. This is based on inflation, supply chain, which you could even say that's a derivative of housing. That's the reason why the interest rates were so low at this time because of all this, the mess we were digging ourselves right. out in 2008, right? So, <laughs> we kicked the, so we you, kicked the can down the road 12 years, didn't we? It, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, and I, but I think that the difference that you see here in the US and just maybe, and I, I'm, I'm on another island, which is California, is the spend the, and the valuations of tech firms that were not making money. Mm -hmm. And that has a significant impact as well, because a lot of it was paper cash. And when those valuations go down, then you are worth, if you look at the stock market, I think it was, yeah, I mean, some of the stocks are down 50% plus, you're down 50% plus than you thought. And if you'd over-indexed or over-leveraged by buying a new home, you will also find yourself in a little bit of a challenge. So I think that there are a lot of areas at play, but I go back through to the supply chain again. If you're a tech firm and you're supplying governments, because there's a obviously there's a war going on at the moment, um, mm -hmm. and if you are supplying healthcare, when there's a recession, people get unfortunately healthcare is something that grows because people get a little bit sicker. You're probably your business is probably going to continue to 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 grow because there's a huge need. So I think getting back to some of the fundamentals around supply and demand, whether that's mm -hmm. in the UK or the US is, is, is another key area to start. So just really just first level principles that I'm sure all your listeners are aware of and, and know as well. Excellent. Well, Marcus, tell us about where DE&I fits into your business. You, you mentioned you kind of work on uh, C-level suites and, and senior management. So tell us what that's about. Yeah, so I, I started at EQ initially because I felt that there were a couple of areas where I had personally some knowledge, I had a network and there was a market need. And that was really around the mid to senior level positions where people were talking a lot about DE&I, but they weren't really doing much. And so it, it started when I was consulting with a private equity firm, they'd asked me to come in and help with their DE&I pledges, which, which we did. And then there was an opportunity to say, hey, like you've created these pledges, but now what? What's the next step? And the next step would be to try and bring that talent in. But there's been a real gap with DE&I and bringing talent in at the mid to senior level. 
And so what we found is that a lot of those roles get filled by referral. And if you're trying to fill those types of positions and you're filling referral and you happen to have an organization which isn't really diverse, you're going to get the same talent in. So we wanted to create an environment that would allow for individuals to basically generate referrals in a deliberate manner. And so we created this community-based platform that's focused around business, passions, interests, and needs. And we started to help to connect people with their peers and then also partner with organizations that wanted to do more around DE&I. And uh, the way the business has evolved just to a high level, it was really a community for EQ to help companies then recruit. And now we're helping companies build their own communities with inside EQ so they can not only retain their own talent, but get access to talent as and when new opportunities come up. So what methods are you helping companies with in terms of broadening the applicant pool? Are there, is there something unique that you guys are working on? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of organizations talk about a database as a community, and it's absolutely not, two, two completely different things. So, and they talk about talent pools as well, as this thing that is alive and, and they're not somebody that applied they've gone through a process and they're not expecting to hear back from you and they don't so our stance has really been looking at a, a, a really a micro level and like if you're going to have a community let's say it's with a group of friends or you're going to host an event or a sporting event you you know those people and they know you and how you how you generally tend to communicate communicate is whether it's via social posts or it's in person or it's via videos. So we host a lot of these roundtables online and in person, and we help people get connected through that. So it's not, again, a transactional post when I'm looking for a job right now, but it's around building up that talent pool and keeping them engaged through uh, what I call the four C's, making sure that they have a community that's supportive of them. You've got also the careers that are interesting that they might not have had, been able to get access to and also ultimately that leads to you getting connections and then once you get connections that leads to capital so it's really about creating an alive environment on and offline where you can interact with others and generate referrals for the mid and long term well i guess i can see why you suggested networking as one of those skills it's not really a soft skill it sounds like that's almost the foundation of your business right yeah absolutely Absolutely. I, I think, I mean, all of the opportunities that I've personally had and people that I've spoken to have come through either referrals or a network. Um, when I initially started, I was on the sales side. So you, you get an opportunity to build up a network, build your reputation, and you don't actually, and, and because there's no second takes to this thing that we call life, you, you don't realize that's what you're actually doing until you look back on it. It's like, ah, oh, like I've actually got 10 people that I used to sell to, but now they're also my clients or they sell to me. And that's mm. how you build up your network over a long period of time. And, and I think that was missing and it's been missing from maybe people that are from backgrounds that haven't gone to some of the, the, the top college or so-called top colleges and schools. And we wanted to give them an environment where they could connect with new people and meet new people outside of their sphere in adjacent markets where they can help each other. No, I think that's great. Well, in, from your perspective, Marcus, what percentage of companies do you think, I don't know if you know this for sure, I'm just curious, 
are yeah. doing the sort of the the lip service DEI, like oh well, we uh, just hired a chief diversity officer, so we uh, checked that box. Uh, now let's get on and do the next thing. Um, what percentage of companies do that versus ones that decide, hey, we're going to be intentional with this. We're going to make it part of our DNA. Do you see a difference in companies and like what percentage do you think? So I, I, I'll start with a really short story. I was, I was talking to a company the other day and I'm, I'm sure they, 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 they won't mind me mentioning them. Um, you can look back on this story and um, they were one of the first hotels um, in the United States that allowed blacks and whites to convene and they had held the a luncheon for Martin Luther King and they drive DEI really significantly inside their organization the fabric of their organization is focused on DEI because they know how much that matters and means to their guests and their customers and they know that I think it's about 69 billion dollars get spent from black Americans in hotels and that company's higher. And I bring up the name and bring up the company because they, they, they have that in the fabric of their DNA. I have, we've spoken to many, many organizations. I'd say that that's probably maybe 2% of what wow. out of the hundred companies that we've spoken to that have that story and that journey. Um, now the ones that are, are making uh, of higher DNI professionals, or the, I'd say that's probably in the region. And again, these are just guesstimates from the last hundred companies that I would have spoken to or seen online. You probably got 10, 10 to 15% that have made some step. Um, and I'd say out of that, you're going to have 50 to 60% that are not necessarily doing it for the right reasons. So you've still got a small, small percentage. And I think that the, the big difference is the ones that drive DE&I see it as a business imperative and a strategy. And they understand that their customers could be anyone from anywhere. That's the, that's the biggest difference. Mm. Um, and once you get your head around that, you go on the offensive versus the defense. And you think, what else can I do to grow my business? And before doing DEI, I was driving digital transformation. And it reminds me of that when companies thought that they didn't need to have an online website or they didn't need to have an online presence. And those companies, unfortunately, probably haven't grown as much as the others. And I think you're going to see the same with DEI. Individuals who are from diverse backgrounds are really starting to fact check where they should spend their dollars. And as medium and long-term goes, if you've got any plans to expand at least nationally or within your state, you're, you're going to have to really show what you're doing around diversity and inclusion. Well, I have one more question for you, Marcus, and I want you to kind of glance into the future. Do you see a day where we won't have DEI initiatives because it's just like breathing? We don't think about it as just how we do business. Do you ever see that day coming? Yeah, I do. I do, but I, I don't... I'm not sure I'll be alive to see it, <laughs> but I think that. Well, yeah, but you're 85 point, years old, Marcus. I mean, what about for young it, guys exactly. like me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, young guys like you might. I mean, yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> yeah, I wish. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm just curious because it's like at some point, at what point do people just say this is the right thing to do, and it's like all the other right things that we do, and we don't have to have somebody special, we don't have to hire a person to be our chief diversity officer, 
I mean, that seems like that's exactly what our goal should be. And you know, my hope is that it happens in our lifetimes. You know, I mean, I'm probably closer to the end than you are, but uh, age wise. But but anyway, I mean, it seems like that is something to be excited about, that that day will come. Yeah. I, so we, we actually have a two part mission and purpose at EQ. And the first part is to empower people of color to thrive. I, I, I would just love it when it's just empower people to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so similar to what you're saying, uh, as far as hey, not having to focus on this particular area, but there's a there's a lot of work to be done, because there's a lot that has been done. And I am and hopefully it doesn't, it's not as long as all the history, but there's still a long way to go and and not and not only from the surface level but system systematically how do you give people access to opportunities that are equal and fair um based on just being human beings and i think once we realize that everybody that's participating in the society is a human being and um and versus kind of identifying people by their color, race, and even their gender uh, or their orientation, I think that will really be the, the, the changing point. And it's going to, again, it's going to also be around a lot of integration as well, like with, with everything, cultures and ways that people operate, families. And as you start to see that, you'll probably start to see that change. And I think the, the US on in, in 2040 is projected where the the minorities will no longer be the minorities and they'll be the majorities. So maybe mm -hmm. there'll be some change there. Yeah, well, I kind of wondered about that too. You know, as I look at even my kids and, you know, they're in relationships with people that are different than them. And I think, well, you know, at some point, you know, my great grandkids, you won't really know what their genealogy or their country of origin. And, and you know, who knows? It may be just be more homogenized down the line. But uh, it just seems like, you know, we're one species. And boy, my fear is that we don't get it together. And AI just says, well, screw you humans, you can't figure it out. We'll just take it. Then we got the friggin Terminator, you know, so maybe this is a good wake up call. Like, let's let's work together and fight back, you know? Yeah, look, like there, there I'm, and, and also the other thing as well to kind of reflect on is that we're we're talk, we're in the US right now. And uh, what's the population? Was it was 350, uh, probably 350 million is around that roughly. Um, and there are 8 billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a big wide world within in that world. And I was watching something with my, my son the other day as uh, he was watching some things around planets as well. And it's just how, how insignificant we, we actually are. The uh, it, we're we're in a in a solar system with a hundred billion other planets, mm -hmm. and I, and I say all that to say that we should we need to kind of get ourselves together um, before we, <laughs> we we start exploring um, other 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 solar systems and other areas. Like, how do we get what we've got together first? And I think to your point, if we <laughs> If we focus in on that, that might be a good start. It kind of reminds me, we watched a movie the other day. Uh, it was The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. And I don't know, I don't want to ruin it. You should see it. <laughs> but basically, the humans did not get their act together, and we became food for another planet species. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there you go right there. The only thing that will live is the AI. So uh, if you want to see your great-grandkids, get your act together. I guess that might be the way to wrap up our thoughts together today, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds good. 
Well, Marcus, how can my audience reach out to you to have you help them as they start thinking through their initiatives? What's the best way to reach you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, just my first name, last name with two R's. So Marcus Sawyer with two R's at the end. And also, if you want to find out more about what we do at EQ, you can find us at eq.community. And yeah, those are the, the two best places to, to find me and um, happy to interact with any of the audience members that have taken the time to listen today. Excellent. Well, Marcus, thank you for taking time to chat with us today. And if you're listening to this, please check out Marcus's website, connect with him on LinkedIn. And I agree with him. The worst time to start your network is when you need it. So maybe this is a good time to uh, network with Marcus as well. Marcus, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, Mike. Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the HR Oxygen podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy making them. I've learned so much from the guests we've had on the show over the past few years, and I hope that you will continue to listen to us regularly. If you are a subscriber on any podcast app or channel, would you do us a favor and take a moment and leave us a review? We would really, really appreciate it. Also, if you have the time, check out all the offerings we have on our website, which is thebossbuilders.com. We have every other month a Sherm Credit webinar that we present, as well as a ton of other events, not to mention our Art of the Great Boss and Art of Being a Great Teammate programs. More information on that site today. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Oh, by the way, may want to unbuckle that seatbelt. I think we just arrived at the gate. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.